is the Pain Information Network. Welcome back. So we begin the new year with some uh, good series, and I am going to reference uh, Dr. Timothy Brennan, MD, MPH. He's a director at the Fellowship in Addiction Medicine at Mount Sinai. <clears throat> He's a uh, an addictionologist, and I heard him speak on a topic called medical comorbidities. Now, what does that mean? That means people have medical problems and they have addiction problems or they have substance use issues and they are coinciding with each other, but they're covering each other up, so to speak. Okay, so I'm going to go through that and uh, I appreciate his lecture. It was really good. So anyway, this is this is the idea. Okay, when we look at alcohol, benzodiazepines, um, you know some of these date rape drugs and opioids, there's a common uh, theme among them, and that theme is you can go through withdrawal, and it can be at various stages uh, of uh, either a day or a week, depending on what the drug is and it's it's really important to understand that because you'd be absolutely uh, stunned at how often we've seen this particularly in the hospital for example a, a patient uh, comes into the uh, ER then they go up to a room and about uh, six to ten hours later they're getting real agitated tachycardic or fast heart rate blood pressure starts going up and the differential diagnosis, what that could be, is huge. But basically, it's probably alcohol withdrawal in most uh, folks that utilize alcohol on a regular basis. Or maybe a couple days later, and I've seen this many, many times, that people that use benzodiazepines, if they don't have their benzodiazepine, they start going through withdrawal. And it's a big uh, cluster of symptoms. And there's nothing specific about it. But Withdrawal from alcohol and withdrawal from benzodiazepines is potentially life-threatening. And it happened to me in med school. Uh, in the ICU, I distinctly remember admitting your patient, your assigned patient, and you follow the natural history of disease. And I get a phone call at night from the resident saying your patient passed away. It, it's like, I just was talking to the guy. No, um, he's gone, and as it turns out, he was um, an alcoholic and went through withdrawal, had a seizure, and uh, probably an MI and died. And, uh, I mean, talk about a freaking wake-up call. Okay, so what do you do? Um, the most important thing is to know those around you and make sure the physician takes a very good history. And when somebody's going to get into the hospital and get away from the routine – you know, a lot of things happen. In the elderly, they sundown, they don't sleep right, they get confused. And in those that have uh, uh, the world of uh, substance abuse issues, um, a lot can happen there, too. So what you need to do is make sure if there's a question mark, you discuss it with the uh, physician or else make sure that your loved one or whomever you're with does as well. Because there's a lot of uh, stigmatization from, you know, alcohol and benzodiazepines and opioids and that sort of thing. And you want to make sure that the detoxification is done correctly. There's something called a CIWA, C-I-W-A, 
Um, it should be something that all providers understand, and it can be done by nursing staff, and it really helps everybody understand the potential risk for this withdrawal, particularly from alcohol. It's not hard to treat. <laughs> Ironically, it's benzodiazepines and a taper. Um, if you can get addiction uh, medicine in there as a specialty to help, it's nice, but it's not readily available unless you're in a major medical center. Doesn't take long, three to five days. You're probably okay. Um, if you have cardiovascular disease, uh, we have to be very, very careful how we do this. We do not want a sympathetic overload or an adrenaline-like overload where people end up uh, <clears throat> pushing their heart, pushing their heart, and then they, they have ischemic disease. All right. There's also this thing called ESPERT, and I'll get into that later. But it's a brief intervention and, uh, res- you know, refer to treatment, basically. Um, it's just a few questions, and it particularly works well in tobacco and alcohol. But ESPERT can be just a little script, and you can get referral to further treatment very promptly. The ICU scenario is a little different because um, it, that is a complete removal from uh, a individual's routine, so it's recognized a little easier. And family is going to say, well, what's going on? Why is he acting this way or why is she acting this way? And, you know, it, it, there are some privacy issues. Sometimes we can't be as forthright as we want to be. That's not ducking an issue. We have legal obligations. So especially in the world of addiction medicine, we have to be a little careful. Benzos, okay. It's a lot like alcohol, uh, but it can be uh, a lot unlike alcohol. It can be very uh, dramatic. Again, expert and detox. Folks, I'm just going to tell you, if you're on a prazolam, I agree with uh, the author of this uh, talk that there's no role in modern medicine for prazolam or Xanax. Get off that drug. And everything everybody knows, I'm not a benzo fan. But there are other drugs, particularly the long-acting drugs like clonazepam and diazepam, Valium or clonopin, that you can use to slowly taper somebody. And depending how long you've been on it, um, some folks are on them for decades. You're just going to have to understand it's a process. Sometimes it can be a week. Sometimes it's going to take six months to get people off these drugs. If an individual's been taking a prazolam for a long, long time, but so many people have uh, over ninety percent of a prazolam comes from primary care, then you're just going to have to be patient. And once you're off that drug, you're going to think clearer. You're going to have better memory. It's just going to be a better place. And people don't realize it until they're off that drug. It's like, oh, geez, I wish I'd have known earlier. All right, GHB this is a date rate drug. Um, it's a really good sleep drug. I have to tell you that. If you have somebody that's uh, just completely refractory in sleep, this is the one that can help. But it's also huge on abuse. And, um, people just won't tell you they're using it. You, know, you get it on the street. But it, once again, benzodiazepines are the drug to help people get off. There's some other drugs, but they I just don't think they work as well and they're harder to use. But benzodiazepines work. And... Um, they just have to be under supervision. As far as opioids uh, go, um, you got to know what they're taking. And most people won't won't speak truth. 
for example, when I ask somebody, um, how many beers do you drink? Uh, well, I drink two, doc. That means four to six. Uh, what are you taking? Well, I take an occasional perk. What do you mean by that? Well, occasional perk to me means they're taken between four and six a day. I have to think like that. And I use this withdrawal tool called COWS, um, opioid withdrawal scale. And it's something that ought to be in the medical record, but it's easy to look up on the Internet. I think everybody should look up on it. We all know somebody that has either an opioid problem or uses opioids regularly. And it's a good idea to know these tools so that when you see people start to get agitated, get a little sweaty, uh, get their uh, rhinorrhea and their eyes are watering and their nose is running and all that sort of thing, you kind of understand where they are on the, uh, the spectrum, the continuum of opioid withdrawal. We use this tool uh, infrequently. We should use it a lot more. But it can really help us understand where we're headed. So I, I like uh, using buprenorphine products. Some people use methadone. I don't like methadone. It does not have a sense of humor that I am aware of. And most people can come off their opioids within a few days. It's, it, there isn't the drama of benzodiazepines coming off opioids. Yeah, you may get the flu. But, uh, you know, this kind of like I need more, I want more. Folks have to be watched. They know where their sources are, and they will go find it. A word about cocaine. Um, you just have to understand how destructive cocaine is. Uh, cocaine hurts the lungs. Uh, it hurts the cardiovascular system. The heart is a big hit. Uh, you, you know, there's this uh, kind of rule that we learned way back. Don't use beta blockers. So if you know something that's on a beta blocker and they're using cocaine and then they take the beta blocker, blocker like Indorol, Metoprolol, any, any one of these, um, <clears throat> and they say that kind of settles me down. No, no, no. <laughs> it can lead to unopposed adrenaline, and that can cause heart problems. All right, we were going to talk about comorbidities. So with opioids, um, it goes through every system, uh, pituitary, hormonal changes, calcium problems, coronary artery disease, arrhythmias, you know, pregnancy, bad, bad issues with uh, uh, neonatal abstinence syndrome. There may even be congenital problems, um, renal problems, seizures, cerebral dysfunction. Uh, that stuff's pretty rare. But uh, opioids are a little easier to handle, and that's why they're so freaking popular, unless they're high dose. Alcohol hits everything, neurologically, all the way down to your toenails. Um, it can cause uh, a number of problems uh, from your blood disease, uh, brain injuries. Uh, it can cause endocrine problems, um, bad decisions leading to HIV and hepatitis C. Uh, renal problems, respiratory, hepatic, of course, lo uh, liver, um, heart problems. I mean, it just hits everything. It can cause pancreatitis, abdominal discomfort, um, blood problems. Um, you know, they fall asleep and they fall asleep on their arm and it causes these palsies or these peripheral palsies where they're, you know, your, your leg goes asleep and you shake it and wiggles, wiggles, wiggles and wakes up. Sometimes your arm, that sort of thing. Yep, it can do that, only it doesn't wake up because they've been sleeping on it for six hours. 
Uh, it can cause problems uh, from mouth to rectum um, and esophageal cancer or pharyngeal cancer. Um, I mean, we could go on and on, but, you know, some of the stuff is easy to treat, like the B12 deficiencies, the folate deficiencies, not so easy to treat. Osteoporosis, cerebral atrophy, not so easy. And like I mentioned earlier, when you start to get in seizures, okay, life-threatening. Comorbidities with cocaine, where does it stop? Seizures, ischemic strokes in the brain, you know, your your nose can fall apart um, because of uh, vasoconstriction. You can get coughs that just don't go away, Um, peptic ulcer disease, but interestingly, it leaves the liver alone. I always just didn't get that, but it just leaves the liver alone. It's how it's metabolized, and it it's metabolized in the blood more to, more so than the liver, a little bit of liver. But uh, the thing is, you just got to think heart, head, and just by lifestyle. You know, because of your lifestyle, you're going to pick up some big bad disease or infectious disease. All right, so these are the scary numbers. Alcoholic hepatitis happens in about 15% of patients. 80% of those go to cirrhosis. Um, 20% have chronic liver disease. It's just going to be there for a long time. And the 40, it's a 40% five-year survival if, if you don't quit. And it's much better at five years. It's almost 80% if you do quit. Quitting good, uh, continuing bad. Now, I'm not talking about a couple of glasses of wine here and there. You know, I'm talking about hammering it, and um, uh, I'll do a whole podcast on alcohol because it's it's overdue, and no one ever likes to talk about it because you know it's so ubiquitous in society. Twenty million Americans over utilize alcohol, and that's from SAMHSA, um, and that's that's a hunk of people, and it's a social item, so. We are very, very careful (laughs) with talking about with our patients because we don't want to stigmatize them. We want to make sure they understand that less is better. The more you try, the better you'll be. Don't think now. Think 20 years down the road. You keep hammering it, and you, you get the for sure event of um, head-to-toe problems. And... Um, I would say if you have a younger person with hypertension, uh, you better start talking about uh, alcohol and doing a CWA. All right, we, these mnemonics in medicine, they never stop. One of them is called coat rack, confusion, ophthalmopegia, ataxia, thiamine deficiency. That's Wernicke's syndrome, okay? There's Kosakoff's psychosis and Wernicke's syndrome, R is retrograde amnesia. A is antrograde, and that means you just can't remember anything ahead. You know, you just learn something, you just can't remember anything. Confabulation, or you just can't make a conversation, and then Korsakoff's. And Korsakoff's is a bad deal. You, um, you basically aren't walking anymore uh, when you have Korsakoff's. And, of course, they have chronic headaches, peripheral neuropathy, that tingling in hands and feet. That's pretty common. Uh, and you just you just can't think. So, you know, that's the alcohol stuff that uh, hurts because family members just watch people go down the rat hole. Other problems with cocaine is uh, these folks do inject 
so they can get abscesses and cellulitis. It goes to the heart and hits the valves. And, of course, HIV and hep C. I mean, it's the lifestyle. But of of the drugs, cocaine is actually one of those drugs uh, people recover from. And after sobriety, uh, a lot of the bad stuff goes away. As long as they don't have an infectious disease or something like that, they can settle it all down. So um, good for those people. That's why they need to get into treatment. All right, other comorbidities. Um, you, we don't talk about it. We don't think about it much. But how about trauma? Car accidents and alcohol. Car accidents and cocaine or other drugs like GHB. How about the violence? Um, and people just don't remember getting their injury. They just don't remember it. So we have to be kind of vigilant as care providers that uh, we ask a lot of questioning because also on uh, death's door is suicides. And especially with cocaine, you have that crash and you have no more dopamine in your head. You go to a deep, dark place and you don't want to come out. So there's the suicide. So that's an important thing to be aware of and vigilant. Watch your family members. All right, I'm going to end this now. When when you drink a lot or use substances to high degrees, you um, you change things. This HPA axis, it doesn't matter exactly what it means, but you change endocrine and you change um, the way you maintain really important parts of your body like who would think osteoporosis growth hormones um how about bone density and this sort of thing it's important and young kids they get hit hard uh and in young people they have reduced testosterone and girls have problems with estrogen production and that leads to impairment and development so it's important to look at each system and Try to put it together as hard as it is, put it together and, you know, help them understand as a process of education what they can do to make themselves better. And um, education sometimes leads to an understanding of reality. Unfortunately, the, uh, the addict acts on emotion and they don't act on logic. So we have to be careful how we approach them, non-confrontational. I know everybody makes fun of me for saying this, but we all say it. You know, it's not a moral impairment. It's a problem. It's brain disease, and we just need to stay uh, vigilant. And everybody watches, everybody's back, including um, these conversations that are sometimes tough with family members and everybody knows an addict and help the help the doctor or provider understand how to help them okay we'll see you soon